0: Hello and welcome to the Riverside Scribe. Today's episode, which is episode three of season two, and we are looking at spells and magic. So in the player's handbook, part three, which is the rules of magic, uh, it starts with chapter 10, which is spell casting. That's where we're going to start our our little journey today. So I uh, will be reading from the book to make sure I don't misrepresent some information again. This can all be found in the Player's Handbook, as this is in chapter, chapter 10. So the book says, What is a spell? A spell is a discrete magical effect, a single shaping of the magical energies that suffuse the multiverse into a specific limited expression. In casting a spell, a character carefully plucks at the invisible strands of raw magic suffusing the world, pins them in place in a particular pattern, Sets them vibrating in a specific way, and then releases them to unleash the desired effect, most cases, all in the span of seconds. Spells can be versatile tools, weapons, or protective wars. They can deal damage or undo it, impose or remove conditions, which is in Appendix A, drain life energy away, and restore life to the dead. Uncounted thousands of spells have been created over the course of the multiverse's history, and many of them are long forgotten. Some might yet lie recorded in crumbling spellbooks, hidden in ancient ruins or trapped in the minds of dead gods. Or they might someday be reinvented by a character who has amassed enough power and wisdom to do so. So the next part, it talks about spell level. So every spell has a level from zero to nine. The spell's level is a general indicator of how powerful it is. But the lowly being still impressive, magic missile at first level and the earth-shaking Wish at 9th. Cantrips, simple but powerful spells that characters can cast almost by rote, are level 0. The higher a spell's level, the higher level a spellcaster must be to use that spell. Spell level and character level do not correspond directly. Typically a character has to be at least 17th level, not ninth level, to cast a ninth level spell. So just because you're level 9, spell cast- Sorry, your character is at level 9 does not mean it gets to cast 9th level spells. So then it goes into knowing and preparing spells. So before a spellcaster can use a spell, he or she must have the spell firmly fixed in mind or must have access to the spell in a magic item. Members of a few classes, including bards and sorcerers, have a limited list of spells they know that are always fixed in mind. The same thing is true of magic using monsters. Other spellcasters, such as clerics and wizards, undergo a process of preparing spells. This process varies for different classes, as detailed in their description. There's a little note here that says casting an armor. Because of the mental focus and precise gestures required for spellcasting, you must be proficient with the armor you are wearing to cast a spell. You are otherwise too distracted and physically hampered by your armor for spellcasting. So, if a spellcaster, so if a wizard puts on armor, he's not or she's not um, proficient in, okay, you can use that armor, you're going to be like a little turtle in your shell, but you're not going to be able to to use your magic. So, kind of a trade-off there, if you need a quick place to hide, or that extra um, protection, I mean, that's that's your choice, but uh, if you're going in a lot of situations where you feel you're going to get uh, hammered on, and you're a spellcaster, uh, try, try to... Up your proficiencies or uh, look at your protective and defensive spells Uh, so it does require um, more strategy to be a spellcaster in terms of what you're going to learn and what you're going to do and use uh, than necessarily just being a uh, strictly melee type character whose whole thing is basically just hit and smash again not saying combat doesn't have its own tactics and strategies and learning um, but also, the melee tend to have higher uh, protection, physical protection, anyways. Uh, so, when playing a spellcaster, uh, there's there's a little more thought process that's required uh, in planning ahead of time. So, even when you're starting out with a level one character, I strongly recommend if you're particularly, if you're picking a spellcaster, um, to look farther down the road, what direction you kind of want to head in, what do you want to specialize in, what's your purpose. If you know anything about the campaign and you're trying to plan ahead, uh, it does require some future thought. Alright, the next part it gets into is spell slots. Now, this is very, very important information for spellcasters. So, regardless of how many spells a caster knows or prepares, he or she can cast only a limited number of spells before resting. Manipulating the fabric of magic and channeling its energy into even a simple spell is physically and mentally taxing, and higher level spells are even more so. Thus, each spellcasting class's description, except that of the Warlock, includes a table showing how many spell slots of each spell level a character can use at each character level. For example, Third Level Wizard has four first level spell slots and two second level slots. When a character casts a spell, he or she expends a slot of that spell's level or higher, effectively filling a slot with the spell. You can think of a spell slot as a groove of a certain size small for a first level slot larger for a spell of a higher level and first level spells fit into a slot of any size but a ninth level spell fits only in the ninth level slot so when casting magic missile a first level spell she spends or they spend one of their four first level slots and has three remaining finishing a long rest restores and expending any expended spell slots uh, more of this can be seen in chapter 8 for the rules on resting. Uh, some characters and monsters have special abilities to let them cast spells without using spell slots. For example, a monk who follows the way of the four elements, a warlock who chooses certain eldritch invocations, and a pit fiend from the nine hells can all cast spells in such a way. So casting a spell at a higher level, when a spellcaster casts a spell using a slot that is of a higher level than the spell the spell assumes the higher level from that casting for instance if they cast magic missile using uh, a second level slot the magic missile is second level effectively the spell expands to fill the slot it is put into some spells such as magic missile cure wounds have more powerful effects when cast at a higher level so look at the uh, detail in the spell's description for that information and again this is uh a good tip to know for anyone who hasn't played a spellcaster, or even if they have always know what your spell requirements are uh what their effects are have that information readily available um as now it's not the only thing that slows things down in combat um but a common point is spell casters either being unaware of uh what they have prepared what they know what they can do uh so again i'm not saying you have to know exactly what you're going to do for every move and instantly do it but it does help uh with the progression of the game and a better understanding of your character if you at least have this information uh, readily available in front of you so the next thing it talks about is cantrips so a cantrip is a spell that can be cast at will without using a spell slot and without being prepared in advance Repeated practice has fixed the spell in the caster's mind and infused the caster with the magic needed to produce the effect over and over. So its spell level is zero. Next up, the book talks about rituals. So certain spells have a special tag. Ritual. Such a spell can be cast following the normal rules for spell casting, or the spell can be cast as a ritual. The ritual version of a spell takes 10 minutes longer to cast than normal. Oh, quick note on that. Also, when looking to... Use any of your spells as part of your understanding of them. Uh look to see what kind of time requirements and any other conditions they may have, because what you think is like, oh, I can use this real quick and realize I should have started this 10 minutes ago. Um so again, important to find that information and we will be going over where to find that that information uh later on in this episode. Continuing on with the rituals, it also doesn't expand a spell slot, which means the ritual version of a spell can't be cast at a higher level. To cast a spell as a ritual, a spell caster must have a feature that grants the ability to do so. The cleric and the druid, for example, have such a feature. The caster must also have the spell prepared or on their list of spells n- known unless the character's ritual feature specifies otherwise as the wizard's does. So, again, um, some people might think, oh, your magic is magic. While the nature of magic is, is essentially the same, uh, how it is used and the uh, capabilities and restrictions uh, for the different spellcasters, which of uh, the player ca- classes that have magic to one degree or the other are the Bard, Cleric, Druid, Paladin, Ranger, Sorcerer, Warlock, and Wizard, and they all have uh, different requirements and spells available to them. So if you're used to playing one uh, and you're switching up to a different spell caster, uh, make sure you know, and understand uh, the requirements for that particular class. So now we're getting into actually casting the spell. So when a character casts any spell, the same basic rules are followed regardless of the character's class with spell effects. Each spell description in chapter 11 begins with a block of information, including the spell's name, level, school of magic, Casting time, range, components, and duration. The rest of a spell entry describes the spell's effect. So the book has it all, those little bits of information broken down with descriptions. So we're gonna go through them uh, to help you better understand or refresh. Uh, So casting time, most spells require a single action to cast, but some spells require a bonus action a reaction or much more time to cast. So for bonus action, a spell cast with a bonus action is especially swift. You must use a bonus action on your turn to cast the spell, provided that you haven't already taken a bonus action this turn. You can't cast another spell during the same turn, except for a cantrip with a casting time of one action. For reactions, it states some spells can be cast as reactions. These spells take a fraction of a second to bring about and are cast in response to some event. If a spell can be cast as a reaction, the spell description tells you exactly when you can do so. So, again, Uh, going back to being prepared and having this information whether you write it out on a cue card you have it memorized uh, you have cards that have the spell information on them already however you want to do it um, especially for the reactions knowing when and how and what uh, really helps move things along and improves uh, your your gameplay and character development So next up goes into longer casting time. So certain spells, including spell casts as rituals, require more time to cast. Minutes or even hours. When you cast a spell with a casting time longer than a single action or reaction, you must spend your action each turn casting the spell. You must maintain your concentration while you do so. There is a section on concentration uh, coming up yet. Uh, And if your concentration is broken, the spell fails, but you don't expend a spell slot. If you want to try casting the spell again, you must start over. So to jump ahead a little bit at the concentration section, uh, some spells require you to maintain concentration in order to keep their magic active. If you lose concentration, such a spell ends. If a spell must be maintained with concentration, that fact appears in the duration entry and the spell specifies how long you can concentrate on it. You can end concentration at any time without using an action. Normal activity such as moving and attacking doesn't interfere with concentration, but the following factors can. Casting another spell that requires concentration, taking damage, and so for that uh, taking damage whenever you take damage while you're concentrating on a spell you must make a constitution saving throw to maintain your concentration. The DC equals 10 or half the damage you take, whichever number is higher. If you take damage from multiple sources, such as an arrow and a dragon's breath, you make a separate saving throw for each source of damage. Another one is being incapacitated or killed, so obviously you can't keep casting uh, if you're dead. Additionally, it states that the DM might also decide that certain environmental phenomena such as wave crashing over you while you're on a storm-tossed ship require you to succeed DC-10 Constitution saving throw to maintain concentration of a spell. So it doesn't necessarily have to be something that's being done by a player or creature, um, but depending on what's going on around in the world, uh, there could be something else where you have to make a saving throw. So another uh, important piece of information for spells of magic is the range. The target of a spell must be within the spell's range. For a spell like Magic Missile, the target is a creature. For a spell like Fireball, the target is the point in space where the ball of fire erupts. Most spells have ranges expressed in feet. Some spells can target only a creature, including you, that you touch. Other spells, such as Shield spell, affect only you. These spells have a range of self. Spells that create cones or lines of effect that originate from you also have a range of self, indicating that the origin point of the spell's effect must be you. So there is an area of effect that uh, we'll be getting into here shortly, and once a spell is cast, its effects aren't limited by its range unless the spell's description says otherwise. So before we get into components, I'm just going to go over the uh, lines of effect briefly while it's still fresh in our minds. So the book has five of them. There is a uh, little illustration in the section in the book and they are line, cone, cube, sphere, and cylinder and they all uh, show a point of origin. Uh, And so this is under the target section. Uh, So we'll go through that. So a target, a typical spell requires you to pick one or more targets to be affected by the Spells Magic. Spells Description tells you whether the spell targets creatures, objects, or a point of origin from an area of effect. Unless a spell has perceptible, has a perceptible effect, a creature might not know it was targeted by a spell at all. An effect like crackling lightning is obvious, but more subtle effects, such as an attempt to read a creature's thoughts, typically goes unnoticed, unless the spell says otherwise. Again, the importance of knowing uh, the information about the spells you're going to do uh, is, is constantly being reinforced. So you need a clear path to the target to target something you must have a clear path to it so it can't be behind total cover if you place an area of effect at a point that you can't see and an obstruction such as a wall is between you and that point the point of origin comes into being on the near side of that obstruction Uh, and targeting yourself if a spell targets a creature of your choice you can choose yourself unless the creature must be hostile or specifically a creature other than you you are in the area of effect of a spell you cast, you can target yourself. So getting into the areas of effect. Spells such as Burning Hands and Cold of Cold cover an area allowing the effect multiple creatures at once. A spell's description specifies its area of effect, which typically has one of the five different shapes as I had mentioned. Uh, Every area effect has a point of origin, so a location from which the spell energy erupts. Rules for each shape specify how you position its point of origin. So a spell effect expands in straight lines to the point of origin. If no unblocked straight line extends from the point of origin to a location within the area effect, that location isn't included in the spells area. To block one of these imaginary lines an obstruction must provide total cover as explained in chapter 9. So the cone is described. A cone extends in a direction you choose from its point of origin. A cone's width at a given point along its length is equal to the point's distance from the point of origin cone area of effect specifies its maximum length. The cone's point of origin is not included in the cone's area of effect unless you decide otherwise. So, uh, and as with the descriptions of the next few, uh, it can be kind of overwhelming maybe how to um, picture this in your mind. Again, the specifics for each spell are given there and these descriptions and the illustrations are in the player's handbook. Uh, So I strongly encourage going through that material. Uh, when you have a chance, the next one is a cube. You select a cube's point of origin, which lies anywhere on a face of the cubic effect. Cube size is expressed as the length of each side. A cube's point of origin is not included in the cube's area of effect unless you decide otherwise. So, if the point uh, you wanted to create a cube, uh, let's say uh, create water, and for whatever reason it's up against the point, you say okay. As long as it's within the range you pick that point on the wall and from there and then specify so that the DM and everyone is clearly aware as to uh, all the sp- uh, specifics of that cube but off the wall so it wouldn't go in through the wall but starting from that and projecting outwards from that point. Uh, the next is a cylinder and again the descriptions are fairly similar uh, but again are a little bit different based on the three-dimensional shape. So you do have the cylinder uh, and then you have the sphere. And then finally the line. So a line's a little bit different. A line extends from the point of its origin, a straight path up to its length and covers an area defined by its width. A line point of origin is not included in the line's area of effect unless you decide otherwise. So this one it's just straight magic firing down one line. Now it does vary in width, um, but it is, uh, Noticeably different than, say, cone or cylinder, uh, so it's a much more uh, narrowly defined path. We're gonna go back and look at components. Um, this can vary depending on game, uh, how strict your DM will be on on the rules and requirements for things. Um, but we are going over what's stated in the book, so any homebrew is left up to the individuals. Um, But as the book says, a spell's components are the physical requirements you must meet in order to cast it. Each spell's description indicates whether it requires verbal, with a V, somatic, with an S, or material, an M. If you can't provide one or more of the spell's components, you are unable to cast the spell. So it goes in to describe each of these. So verbal and again in the description would be represented by a v most spells require the chanting of mystic words the words themselves aren't the source of the spell's power rather the particular combination of sounds specific pitch resonance set the threads of magic in motion as the character is in, is gagged or unless sorry uh so if the character is gagged or in an area of silence such as one created by the silent spell it can't cast a spell with a verbal component so you must make uh audio audible uh, words the ability to do so to cast the spell that has a V. Uh, Now, as to what volume that is or a whisper, uh, again, look at the spell's description and if you're ever unsure, uh, ask your DM. The next one is somatic. So basically what somatic uh, is, is it requires a physical gesture and you must have at least one free hand uh, to cast something with somatic requirements. And the next one is material. So casting some spells require particular objects specified in parentheses in the component entry. A character can use a component pouch or spellcasting focus. This specifics on those can be found in chapter five, which is equipment, in place of components specified for a spell. But if a cost is indicated for a component, a character must have the specific component before. They can cast a spell. If a spell says that a material component is consumed by the spell, a caster must provide the component for each casting of the spell. A spell caster must have a hand free to access the spell's material components or to hold a spell casting focus, but it can be the same hand that he or she uses to, promote, to perform somatic components. So if you have a spell that has all three, or just at least the S and the M, and you're holding the spell casting focus. And because that meets the material requirements but you still need the hand to do something and either your other hand is tied or otherwise engaged uh, if you have a hand to do hold the material you can do the somatic action as well or vice versa i can gesture while well, i can also uh, hold on to the focus or the component pouch and still uh still perform the physical gestures required to cast the spell so it's not going to require two hands to cast so now, a quick look at the duration. So the durations are listed: instantaneous and in concentration. We already went over the concentration part, um, but for instantaneous, uh, is self-explanatory. Is that it happens right away, and the effect lasts for an instant. It's not a long-lasting. It doesn't require prep. It's just kind of done. There you go. Uh, so we're going to move on to the schools of magic, and there are eight of them, and so there is a description of each and they all have various things but we're just going to go over a quick look as to what each of them are later on in this uh in this season we'll dive deeper into them and their specific spells um but they are the first one is uh abjuration so it's protective in nature and you have conjuration uh which involves the transportation of objects and creatures from one location to another some summon creatures or objects to the caster um, so conjuration is essentially the transportation of, of items and creatures divination helps reveal information enchantment uh, affects the minds evocation is manipulating magical energy itself illusion is used for deception necromancy is both life and death and uh, transmutation is changes the property of a creature or objects or the environment around them those are very very quick uh basic descriptions of the schools uh and as there's a lot to each of them and they all have their pros and cons uh we're going to look at them specifically in their own episode um, but just to give you an idea what they are right now that's that's what they are so getting back under the target section of the uh sorry past the target section in the book uh we have what's saving through so many spells specify the target can be can make a saving throw to avoid some or all of a spell's effect. The spell specifies the ability that the target uses for the save and what happens on a success and fail. The DC to resist one of your spells equal eight plus your spellcasting ability modifier, plus your proficiency bonus, plus any special modifiers. Again, preparedness, uh, is, again, it's key for all players, but specifically for spell casters, um, always be prepared it makes life easier for you for the rest of your party and definitely your dm um so moving on to attack rolls some spells require the caster to make an attack roll to determine whether the spell effect hit the intended target your attack bonus with a spell attack equals your spell casting ability modifier plus your proficiency bonus most spells that require attack rolls involve ranged attacks remember that you have disadvantage on a ranged attack roll if you are within five feet of a hostile creature that can see you and that isn't incapacitated. Chapter 9 has more information on that. And then there's a nice little bit on combining magical effects. So the effects of different spells added together while the durations overlap. The effects of the same spell cast multiple times doesn't combine. However, instead, the most potent effect, such as the highest bonus from those casting abilities while duration overlap. Or the most recent effect applies if the castings are equally potent in the durations overlap. For example, if two clerics cast blessed on the same target, the character gains the spell's benefit only once. He or she does not get to roll two bonus die. So that is essentially chapter 10. Chapter 11, uh, I will very very briefly go over what it is. Uh, We're not going to go through it all right now. There will be a more detailed dive into spells uh and that's what chapter 11 is spells it's uh states that this chapter describes the most common spells in the world of dungeons and dragons the chapter begins with the spell list of spell casting classes the remainder contains spell descriptions presented in alphabetical order by the name of the spell so uh it starts off with the bard and as it's broken down it lists out their cantrips then first level, all the way up to ninth level moving on to clerics so they're just laid out uh what the spells are but not their description Those can be found in alphabetical order later down the road, as some spells can be cast by different classes. Uh, But it is nice that the player's handbook starts it out by class. So when you're starting out making your character and you're trying to figure out what spells can I cast. I mean, the description of the spell is kind of pointless if you're not able to cast it. So it gives you um, convenient uh, listing by class and then gets into the details further in the chapter. Uh, Now, this is... What's in the player's handbook? Other uh, source books then add and expand on this, Uh, and there's a section in the Dungeon Master's Guide on creating and modifying uh, magic, as with other items and things in the game. Uh, So, if you're going to branch out beyond what is as written, there are rules on how best to do that. And just to give an example of uh, spells description, uh, I know earlier we described what. Is included, but I'm gonna just read one just to give an, like, an example of what it actually contains. So we're gonna look at uh acid splash is the first one. So it states acid splash, and underneath it says conjuration cantrip. If you look at some of the others, it will so it's specifying what level of spell and uh what school. So the one below it is aid, so it says second level abduration. But back to Acid Splash, uh, underneath the level uh, and the name in school it says casting time, so one action, a range of 60 feet, components are verbal and somatic, so V and S, and it's instantaneous. So that gives you a bunch of useful information and then it describes the spell itself. So you hurl a bubble of acid, choose one or two creatures you can see within range, so within 60 feet. If you choose two, they must be within 5 feet of each other. So they can't be, okay, you're within 60 feet of me, but you're standing 30 feet away from each other. So they've got to be within 5 feet of each other. Our target must succeed on a dexterity saving throw or take 1d6 acid damage. The spell's damage increases by 1d6 when you reach 5th level. So uses 2d6, 11th level, 3d6, and 17th level, 4d6. Now, some of these spells have longer uh, descriptions, but just as an example of what it what it is. So it does give you all your little stats that you need, and then it describes how it uh, would manifest, and then any additional information that's important. And again, depending on some of the spells, they do have more information than others. Uh, it all depends on the spell uh, strength, what its intent is. Um, but as I said, when we're looking at the schools of magic, we will get more into those and as well as playing specific classes, we'll look at, um, choosing the spellcaster class that's right for you. Uh, as I said, there's a number of them that can use them and depending on what play style that you want, uh, want to do and what options you want, um, it'll be helpful to know ahead of time, right? than say, oh, I can cast spells. Cool. I'm going to pick this one. And then you realize, ah, I really wish. I was a sorcerer instead of a wizard, or well, being a bard would have been a lot more conducive to what I wanted to do than warlock. So uh, now that's not to uh, discredit any multi-classing uh, for adding different abilities to your character, but again, that's that's a discussion for another day. So that was uh, the breakdown of spells of magic uh, to get going. As I said, we will be diving deeper into specifics of uh some of the spells themselves as there are numerous ones and uh when other source books come out they usually include additional spells, uh enhancements on them and we will be going through those in a number of the source books. Uh specifically when we look at the schools and the casting classes themselves. So I wanna thank you all for listening and I hope you come back next week uh where we'll which the next episode of Season 2 is titled Economics 101, and we're going to be looking how uh, the financial and trade systems uh, are set up in Dungeons and & Dragons. And as with all, things can be changed, but we're going to look at how the rules are set up. Uh, and while I do encourage uh, homebrew for flavor and everything else, uh, from my own experience and some others and again this this isn't a hard and fast rule you, the game is meant to be played how you want to play it um but for the sake of uh things flowing smoothly and without having to essentially rewrite your whole own game uh i always find see what the books say see what's the official rules on things are and then expand and alter from there uh rather than just willy-nilly changing things now something like economics may not but then if you're going to use uh items from the book who have set prices and various other things then there's more on the spot having to try and adjust to it um so if you're basing things off of existing rules and not just economics but anything in the game um it always helps to start with what's written see what's there maybe it's what you want to use or maybe make a little tweak um but it makes for uh more immersive gameplay uh if you're going to modify is to understand what was written and then modify it from there accordingly so again thank you for listening and until next time keep those dice rolling